I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 211, Who Killed JFK? A conversation with author Walter Herbst about his new book, It Did Not Start With JFK, The Decades of Events That Led to the Assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, I don't know about you, but I remember as clear as day when I heard that the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, had been shot. I was a freshman at the City College of New York in a calculus class, a really god-awful, boring calculus class. There was a knock on the door. The professor opened the door. A student who seemed very upset said something to the professor. We couldn't quite make it out, but the professor turned to us and told us that John F. Kennedy had been shot. At that point, he was still alive. It was November 22nd, 1963. By the way, the professor kept us for the rest of the class. I guess that says something about this professor. But I remember walking to the train station with a friend of mine, and he was a conservative, and he said, you know, I'm a Goldwater Republican, but this is the last thing I ever wanted to see happen. And I knew at that moment that the whole world had changed. And when we got the news that JFK had been killed, it really set in. And something was very different. There was less joy, less optimism, less hope for the future. After that November 22nd, 19. 63. And it's not that there was no joy in the world. The Beatles were just a month or so away from debuting their great single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, here in the United States. By the end of that decade, we walked on the moon. The election of Barack Obama in 2008 was a wonderful moment, a great day for democracy. But something was lost on that day. And maybe it was because of that, but I never bought the Warren Commission's conclusion that one lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, had been responsible for this. And uh, even more, I felt that way after this gunman was himself killed before he was ever even brought to trial. The whole thing just didn't seem right. So I still feel this way to this very day, and therefore I was very interested when I came across Walter Herp's new book, just published today. I received notice about the book being published a couple of weeks ago. And I was fortunate to get an advanced copy of the book. And so Walter and I sat down for a Zoom interview a few days ago. 
I'm going to play the complete unedited interview for you here with all the uhs and hmms and sounds that do come up during an interview. It's a little over 30 minutes. So here is Walter Herbst. I started by asking him to tell us a little bit about how and why he decided to write this book. The Light on Light Through podcast. Around the age of 25, someone gave me a book, a a conspiracy book on the assassination. And there were so many questions in there I didn't realize that were unanswered that I needed to investigate further. And it became like a lifelong uh, ambition of mine to get to the truth. So for about the last, say, close to 40 years, I have devoted most of my energy to, uh, to investigating the assassination of JFK. Now, I got to a point, as everyone does, you read, you, you read different things and you read about the CIA and the mafia and Cuban exiles and all of this. And you ask yourself, how do these groups come together? They, they can't all have been involved as, as a, en masse in an assassination. There must be something. And I wanted to know why. And there were, some, there were also some circumstances that, that had large questions in my mind, like why when Oswald was arrested, did he ask for a lawyer named John Apt, who represented communists and everyone said, okay, th- that's why Oswald asked for him. Well, no. John Apt at the time was the only attorney in the country to ever uh, defend someone against the Smith Act, which was instituted after World War II, for, and where, that said you could um, try people for trying to take over the country. That's why Oswald wanted it. Then I asked myself, why, why is it that with all the talk of Cuba, from hiring the mafia to try and assassinate Castro, to the Bay of Pigs, to all kinds of attempts to get rid of Castro, Oswald gets arrested, member of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, defected to the Soviet Union, goes to Mexico two months before the assassination, trying to get to Cuba, He's accused of the assassination. No one else is even considered. And nothing happens. They ignore that. And then in a 20, roughly 26 months within the assassination, before and after, there are 15 government overthrows and assassinations around the world. All leftist leaders that were removed. And in the middle of this, we're supposed to believe that one uh, one left-wing assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, shot and killed our president. It didn't make sense. So I started backtracking and thought, maybe I can find out why in the years prior to Kennedy's assassination, something to make sense of all of these facts that just didn't settle in my mind. And it took me back all the way to the 1920s. And it was all about anti-communism and post-World War I. It started with eugenics, which was a pseudoscience that people in power that wanted to restrict immigration to just say Northern Europeans, Aryans, Anglo-Saxons, they used eugenics as a means to justify keeping other people out. So in 1924, they passed the Immigration Act, which basically did that, limited everyone but Northern Europeans. Then as, as we led up to World War II or the Depression, there was an attempt to, to, to remove FDR from office. It involved the DuPont family, Rockefellers, different people. 
It went in front of Congress. Their plan was to take 500,000 American Legion soldiers and basically give FDR a choice. Either you become a puppet president and we'll tell you what to do, or we're going to forcibly re remove you. They contacted Smedley Butler, a colonel from World War I, who they thought they could trust, but he went to Congress. Congress investigated it. They knew it was a conspiracy. This group had sent people to Europe to see how Hitler and Mussolini had come to power. And it all died because the people were too powerful who were involved. Okay, and then as we got through World War II, um, there were the, the support for the Nazis in this country was tremendous, and in, in, in England, Europe as well, uh, because it was mostly about anti-communism. They could accept fascism, but not communism. Then in post-World War II, it just, then it snowballed. Yeah, the Korean War, which contrary, pointed out in the book, contrary to what the public believes, what we've been taught, it was the United States and South Korea, or I should say the military in the United States, led by MacArthur, that really instigated World War, uh, the Korean War. And the reason for that was there were things going on at the time that the military and the right wing could not accept. Um, right after World War II, the Soviets became our number one adversary. And a fellow named George Keenan, who was a Russian diplomat stationed in Moscow, wrote, uh, per Truman's request, President Truman, a 5,000 page telegram that is now called the Long Telegram, outlining the dangers of the Soviet Union and that their objective was to take over the United States. So he established what became US policy really for the, the remainder of the Cold War, what was called the policy of containment. The policy of containment said that communism would self-destruct in time if you just contained it, didn't allow it to spread, and which is what we did, right? We had uh, uh, missiles in, in Europe. We had Okinawa, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, Japan. We, we created like an umbrella, an arc around, around the Soviets and the Chinese. Well, right around the time of Korea, Truman came to the conclusion we couldn't afford to do all of this. So he was prepared to let South Korea and Taiwan, which was Formosa at the time, go to the communists. They were on the mainland. Japan, that was in, the UN was negotiating a treaty that had two, would have two outcomes. One was the United States could leave its military bases and nuclear, nuclear weapons in Japan where they could be removed. Things were starting to lean in the direction of the United States getting out. So with all that in mind, the only way to stop it was for the Korean War to happen, which it did. And Truman's military budget, which was, was going to be cut to 13 billion, wound up ballooning to 48 billion. Then after the war, it continued. The military industrial complex, which Eisenhower talked about at the end of his presidency, actually began at the beginning. And this war machine was created where military generals would, would push for um, military expenditures going to certain government contractors. Then when those generals retired, they would go work for those contractors. So there's this industry, this military industry of, of, of enormous proportions uh, grew and could not be stopped. Eisenhower knew it. That's what he was referring to. And it continued on through the Cold War. Um, as we, the United States tried, or the, the military tried repeatedly, they wanted to, they wanted to engage the Soviets in a, in a nuclear confrontation. Eisenhower held out. And 
anyway, so that kind of led up to the Kennedy assassination. Okay, so let, let's talk uh, about the Kennedy assassination and the immediate aftermath in the 1960s. Sure. I, I never was comfortable with the lone assassin theory. I was just a kid, uh, but it seemed to me almost impossible that one lone gunman could get so lucky, in quotes, to have this horrendous outcome. Uh, so right there and then, I think there were grounds for being concerned about what the Warren Commission was doing and the attempt to uh, put all this on one person. And then very conveniently, that person is killed. Right. So, so but here is something, uh, a, a question that always bothered me and still bothered me. And you, you mentioned uh, John F. Kennedy's brother, Robert Kennedy, several times in, in your two volumes. But I was wondering if you've thought about this question. Mm -hmm. His brother was killed, murdered. Right. He was attorney general. It's true that Johnson didn't like him and wanted to get him out of there as soon as possible. Right. It's true that he didn't live that much longer himself. He was assassinated. We can talk about that as well. But why do you suppose the president's brother allowed the Warren Commission report to stand without his scathing criticism to get to the truth of this, if what you are saying was at all true? There is a record. He may not have said it directly, but he did say, and associates of his supported this, that he did not believe the Warren Commission was accurate. He came out to be politically correct and was in agreement with it. But he knew that unless he became president, he could never uncover the truth. And he wanted to be president. Okay, now he was emotionally over, just just destroyed, right? At, at the time of his brother's death, they were so close. They knew, in fact, there was an associate of his and Jackie's who went to Moscow um, for a diplomatic mission. And he went there with a message from Robert Kennedy saying, we know you guys weren't involved. We know who, we, we suspect who did this. We're gonna find out. He sent a fellow named Sheridan who was his like his muscle man to investigate the assassination on his own while he privately while he was still attorney general as you know he lasted for as attorney general for for a while after after the fact became senator of new york and was look he was on his way to becoming the next president i believe in 1968 okay he, he was going to get the democratic nomination i mean it's not by accident that Lyndon Johnson was running for president until Robert Kennedy announced he was going to run. And then like within a week or two, Lyndon Johnson backed out. So anyway, that's the reason that he had to be president to take this on. Okay. So do you think the same American right-wing cabal that was in least, at least in large part responsible for John F. Kennedy's assassination, were they also responsible for Robert Kennedy's assassination? You know, it, it's hard to think that isn't the case. I mean, when you look at the facts in the big picture and throw Martin Luther King into that as well. I mean, so they wanted to get rid of JFK. And one thing, JFK 
and his brothers created the perfect scenario for the perfect storm, if you will. You had, you had the possibility that John would have been president until 1968. Then if Bobby came in, he could have been president until 76. And if Teddy came in, he takes him up to 84, which is the beginning of Ronald Reagan's second term. Would have been a Kennedy dynasty. And if you were adamant that these people were, 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 were detrimental to the well-being of the United States, you would have felt an obligation to get rid of them. In fact, the CIA mantra always was, wouldn't we have been better off if someone had killed Hitler early on? Obviously, the answer is yes, but early on, you don't know what a man's going to become. But anyway, so yeah, so they kill John. They go, Robert may win 68. Martin Luther King is certainly galvanizing the black vote in favor of the Democrats. Those two get eliminated. And it paves the way for Richard Nixon to become president, who many believe had the election stolen from him in 1960 from some mob influence with JFK. So and when you look now, then what happens? Nixon pulls out of Vietnam, if you really want to get stretch it to an extreme, normalizes. He goes and visits China, goes and visits the Soviet Union, all things that violated the policy of containment. And next thing you know, the same guys who were involved in the Bay of Pigs, may have been involved in the assassination, wind up botching the Watergate break-in. Was it a, I mean, is it possible that that was actually a setup? And, and now Nixon's gone? Yeah, well, you know, so it's tempting to tie all those things together, and I'm right. actually inclined to do that. But I guess where then do you draw the line? They got lucky, again, in quotes, in in Chappaquiddick. So so that yeah, right. out, or was that just so? And one of the things that I kept on thinking, I mean, it almost screamed out at me as I was reading your your fascinating, provocative book. And actually, you should probably write a third and a fourth volume about this. And again, you sort of hint at this, but you know, you, you don't really talk about it because obviously the books are long enough as they are. But what is the status of this right-wing cabal right now? Now, obviously, a lot of the people that you talk about, these, these again, quote, heroes of World War II, the people who started the CIA, uh, you know, the people who were furious at Eisenhower, et cetera, et cetera, the people who thought they, they couldn't believe that the Kennedy family had betrayed them since Joe Kennedy, him, the father himself, had been one of their main right. leaders. What, what is their status today? And I hate to even bring this in, but are they, were they propping Trump up? And have you given any thought about that? You know what? It, you can't make a direct connection, but my opinion is the answer was no, they wouldn't be propping up Trump. And I say that for this reason. We call it the deep state today. They didn't call it back the deep state back then. But there is a government that has to, has to remain in place as one, one president comes to the next, right? We can't have a complete over, that everybody leaves, that new people come in. There has to be some consistency. And if you want to look at the Council on Foreign Relations, wherever you want to look, especially as far as foreign policy, there is a consistency. And it doesn't necessarily, when we say right wing, it doesn't equate just to Republicans, especially at, at the time of JFK. There are people who have a direction they want the country to go. 
Trump didn't fit that. Trump was going to kick over the apple cart, right? And that didn't go along with, with um, the deep state status quo. We want a direction the country to go in. We want to contain communism. And so, if anything, he violated that. Okay, so, and you could add into that, Trump's love affair with Putin, even though Putin is not an ipso facto Soviet communist, he obviously comes from that tradition. And, Correct. And, and, and runs Russia as in effect, and to whatever extent he can, as a reincarnation of the Soviet Union. So, so therefore, Th- those people would not have favored Trump. I, that, that's, a, I think, a good answer. But I guess what I'm saying is the, the fundamental thesis of your book is that there are people, certainly people who were around in the United States back in the 1930s. You know, f- one of the most famous is Charles Lindbergh. He might not have been, you know, one of the people who actually plotted the Kennedy right. assassination, but there have been people around. You, you certainly think they're still around now. So what, what then are they doing now? In other words, what should we be looking for? Not that we can prevent another assassination from happening, but, but what evidence have you found researching the past that these forces are still at work today? Well, when you look at any time someone tries to change the direction of the country or get too, say, too, too close to what we consider our enemies, whether it be, like you say, Trump with the Russians or Obama with the Iranians or anybody that um, kind of violates the basic premise of what this country is based on. And which is that democracy is the best form of government for the world and that everyone else will self-implode. Let's keep, you know, we keep our allies. The one thing Trump did was just rejected our allies in Europe in particular and Southeast Asia, and which infuriated um, the, the right. I, I still think the, the, the Council of Foreign Relations is a place to look at because almost every person that has run um, our foreign policy at Secretary of State or any kind of diplomatic uh, uh, position, high level, has come from there. There are think tanks, you can call them left-wing, right-wing think tanks, in some ways, they're all basically the same. There's a direction they want our country to go. And I think there's a reason why it comes from there. Now, Trump's big thing was he kicked over every, I mean, he named an ex, Exxon executive as Secretary of State, correct? I mean, how far off base can you be? And everything seems, everything he did at the beginning of his presidency in particular seemed to implode on him. And there was a lot of resistance within the government, which people on the far right, don't like, but there is this constant, there's a consistency in government that goes from one president to the next. General MacArthur said, right after the Korean War, he said, my allegiance is to the people and the constitution, not to the temporary resident of the White House. And I think that holds true for presidents, no matter what party they belong to. No, I agree. And actually, although I don't particularly like MacArthur, it's, no. hard to, it's hard to disagree with that point. 
Let, let's go back again uh, to the beginning of this, uh, just so I, I and our listeners and viewers can get a better understanding of this. In effect, your thesis, which again, you copiously document, is that in a way, th this began as an attempt to take out Adolf Hitler. And, you know, we've all seen the movies, you know, we know about the probably the most famous plot is, you know, the one with the German generals and they get right. a bomb into the room. And by the way, you might be interested in knowing that that whole story is uh, one of the key parts of several courses that I teach. Oh, really? Yeah, it represents the power of radio, because what happened is, as you as you know, Hitler was wounded uh because he was sitting at a table that it was like a made out of steel. And so although the bomb was pretty close to him, that steel table absorbed a lot of the impact. So a few hours later, he's in a hospital. No one knows if he's, they, they know he's not dead, but he could be mortally wounded on the verge of dying. Joseph Goebbels gets the idea, my Fuhrer, if we could just do a radio address to the German people, yes. that would discourage any German generals from joining this dastardly plot. And, and Goebbels gets a, a radio connection into Hitler's hospital bed, and Hitler addresses the nation. And right there and then, the, that plot right. is stopped cold, because any German general who's thinking of joining you know, the, the revolt knows better than to do that. So that, by the way, shows the power of radio, which Hitler, FDR, Churchill, even Stalin all use. But Okay, so the, 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 you, uh, one of the most interesting uh, parts in the early uh, points in the early part of your book is, is how that the Vatican thinks it is okay as part of that, uh, Vatican doctrine to assassinate a tyrant. Right. So Hitler, right. So Hitler is obviously a tyrant. So the Vatican, even though they first were playing ball with Hitler to some extent in the early 30s, you know, pretty soon they saw the monster they were dealing with. And the same even with, you know, some right wing people in the United States. Uh, so so they pivoted to, OK, let's try to assassinate, take this guy out. They did not succeed. But your point is that what that did is it set into motion this idea that sometimes it's necessary to take out a, a, a president, a Fuhrer, if that person is operating in a way which is going to destroy capitalism, white right. supremacy, etc. Communism was the big, the big fear of everyone. And it started even at the time of FDR, right? Because communism if it infiltrated your country, equated to taking over unions and taking money out of people's pockets. And FDR, they looked at with the New Deal, um, socialist programs. And so the elites of this country um, wanted to do something to prevent that from happening. And it eventually led, like you're saying, to, to World War II and an alliance between the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA, right, at the time, during, during the war, um, the Vatican. And the Vatican had their own network of spies in Germany and, and in Italy, and they were, make, they were attempting to get rid of Hitler. Now, in, the, in all of this, there were the German generals who were in the, in the, in the uh, um, the Roman theater, Italian theater of war, who saw the Russians coming east or coming west from, from, from the east, 
And they had to be stopped. They were trying to, at the time, Alan Dulles, future CIA director, was head CIA guy in, in or OSS, OSS man in, in Switzerland, was negotiating with these German generals to try and, 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 and reach some kind of an accommodation where they were willing to surrender. And what they wanted to do was to surrender, give us the right to go back and stop the Russians from coming in, and then we will eventually put over a democratic government. Dulles went to William Donovan, who, Donovan, who was the head of, of OSS, who then cabled back to, 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 to FDR. And FDR only accepted unconditional surrender. And they tried desperately to get him to change that. But he, he steadfastly maintained unconditional surrender. And the German generals, of course, could not give in to that. So eventually, World War II ended the way it did. And they, were, they could not kill, they never killed Hitler, obviously the record, we know that. But what happened after the war was very interesting. So you had the Russian army, the Red Army, basically around Berlin, Eastern Europe. You had the United States pulling everyone home. You had the English pulling everyone home. Basically defenseless. There, there, there was a fear that if the Red Army wanted to march across Europe, they could have taken over Europe. In fact, Churchill had set a date and ordered his military to attack the Red Army. And they explained to him that it's suicide. We can't because of you know, the, lim the limitations there. So what happened... Right. Okay, what ha Go ahead. Okay. What happened after the war, briefly, um, there were these groups of, of, of in, in Eastern Europe that fought with the Nazis. They were still in place. They were czarists, anti-communists, and between the OSS and eventually the CIA, and these, 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 these stay-behind armies, it's called Operation Gladio, they were like a first line of defense against these people, the, the, the Russian army. And they eventually wound up um, bringing in the mafia into this. The mafia and, and, the, and the military CIA were involved together for many, many years. And they brought in opium from Southeast Asia. They had to fund this operation. They couldn't let the United States government know about it. Senate would never have approved it. And amazingly, they laundered the money through the Vatican Bank. It was all to keep the communists out of, out, out of Europe. Right. And as we know, the communists and, and the Soviet Union came pretty close to even overrunning Western Europe. Not yes. only did they get a foothold in Germany, Greece was hanging in the balance. Obviously, yes. the whole Eastern Bloc, you know, Hungary, Poland, etc., that they became satellites of the Soviet Union. The, the, the uh, you know, the revolution in China, obviously, after World War II, that became a communist country. So, you know, it's easy for us now in 2021 to say, what were they so worried about, you know, that they went, that they did something so extreme. They had reason to be worried. I think everyone was worried. Yes. Uh, but th this gets me, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to another question, and we can certainly talk for a few more minutes here. Um, having seen the devastation that the assassination of John F. Kennedy did to the country, and, and again, followed just a few short years later by the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And as, and as you're correctly pointing out, um, 
the um, the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. I don't know why I threw a junior in there. The assassination of Robert F. Kennedy basically took out someone who was on the verge of becoming president right, uh, right. because he would have done much better than, than Hubert Humphrey, for sure. By the way, I was a... Uh, UG, my wife and I were devout Eugene McCarthy supporters, and we didn't particularly like... Uh, you know, Robert Kennedy right. coming in. But and the, the reason that we did is we realized that, hey, Eugene McCarthy didn't stand a chance with Robert Kennedy in the contest. But but anyway, did, did the people that you pretty convincingly show, you know, had something to do with the assassination of John F. Kennedy, seeing the devastation that that wrought on the American psyche, do you have any evidence or knowledge? Did they, did they feel guilty about that? Obviously, they weren't thinking that it should never happen again because, you know, the, the assassination of Robert Kennedy shows, again, they may, may have indeed orchestrated that. Has there been any uh, evidence, you know, people on their deathbed saying, I, I, I'm really sorry I did this, but I None. can't go back and change it? None. There have been people who have admitted involvement in the JFK assassination on their deathbed or later on. To a man, they basically all think he had it coming, that they did the right thing. It's an amazing, anyone who was alive at that time and felt the pain. And then on Sunday morning, I don't know how you found out about Ruby shooting Oswald, but I just remember my grandmother calling us at home and saying, turn on the television quick. You're not going to believe this. Or waking up in 1968 because California primary was late. Waking up and finding out that John Kennedy's brother, Robert, was also shot. He wasn't pronounced dead yet, I don't believe. And he was like, not again. How could this happen? And no, I think the people who did this did it for a reason. I think they are. Look, there are people in this country at the time who were prepared to have a nuclear war with the Soviets, knowing that certain cities in the United States would be obliterated. But in the final analysis, we would defeat them and it was all worth it. Yeah. So. That's really chilling. Well, I'll tell you where I was uh, in terms of Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, my then girlfriend, uh, who became my wife, and mm. we're still married, and we have kids and grandkids. We were on the telephone, um, you know, each in our separate houses in the Bronx, you know, watching, you know, the returns in California. Uh, not happy again that Robert F. Kennedy won. Right. I mean, we knew that he would, but just you know, somehow hoping that McCarthy could have pulled it out at the last minute. And you know. We knew that Robert F. Kennedy had won. We were pretty much getting ready to go to sleep, and we were both watching the television when this news came over the television. And that in itself is as much seared into my memory as uh, you know the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, so one final uh, question, if you have any knowledge of this. Have there been any other plots attempted assassinations you know since then that your copious research has uncovered i mean for example did someone try to go after obama at some point no i think 
the people who were responsible for JFK, I think, are too smart if they wanted to get rid of an Obama or anybody else to understand with, with cell phones, cam cameras, and, and, and all the information that's available. They wouldn't go about it that way. They could destroy. There's ways to destroy a president today um, without resorting to violence. I think if it were to happen again today to any president, it's going to be someone unhinged that will you know, just do it on his own. I can't imagine that uh, a group would get together and arrange. I mean, it would have to be a very sophisticated plot. It could happen, obviously. But uh, anyway, to answer your question, no, I have no, no, of no evidence that there are other assassination of plots that have been foiled or that just were in the works. All right. Well, that's a, that's a ray of, of good hope. You yeah. know, I, I do agree with you that, you know, that the world has changed uh, a lot since uh, November 1963. Although, as uh, you know, I've, I always say the world also froze then in a oh way that, that, that it's never recovered from. So, listen, I, I think it, you, you've really done a wonderful job uh, writing these books. And, and I, urge, I urge everyone to read them, because if you're anything like me, if you grew up in that time, if you've always been wondering what really happened, if you felt that Mark Lane you know, was on to something, he might right. not have had everything right, if you were glad that Oliver Stone made that movie, uh, it, and and I, I really want to underscore, we live in a world in which anytime someone comes up with a somewhat unconventional idea, uh, th there's the Greek chorus saying, oh, conspiracy theory. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, th this isn't a conspiracy theory. I mean, it, it's a theory, and but it's a theory that's very, very well documented, meticulously researched. I learned all kinds of things, and uh, that's saying a lot for me. Not that I'm incapable of learning anything new, but I, I've read a lot on this. But but reading Walter Herbst's book, I, I learned an enormous amount. So, uh, Walter, any final thoughts or comments? The only thing I'll say is I'm working now on, on the third volume, which will be about the assassination itself in Kennedy years. And the, the, the book you're referring to that is out now, the two volumes, is about the period leading up. And I think if you read it with an open mind, when you're done, you will come to the conclusion that yes, it is possible that Kennedy was assassinated by a conspiracy. And I'm hoping the next volume will put facts on the table as far as the, the, the actual assassination to prove that. I think we will. And I, I think the goal that we should have for people who believe this is we don't need the government to say, okay, you're right. Here's who did it. But I think at least we should get to the point where we could say there is just as much evidence, if not more evidence of a conspiracy than there is of a lone gunman. And we should give that the proper attention that it deserves, not just dismiss it and say Lee Harvey Oswald did it. The Warren Com Commission said it. Unless you can prove without a shadow of a doubt that that's not the case, we're going to dismiss what you what, what, what you present. So that would be my final word. Well, great. That's, I agree with that final word 100%. So again, you'll be able to buy this book. Uh, th this is being uh, recorded on November 10th. I should mention that. Uh, it's going to be posted on November 16th. They will, there will be links in the both the 
show notes on YouTube and the uh, episode notes on Light On, Light Through, uh, a link to where you can buy this book. And uh, Walter, I look forward to reading your next book and we'll have you back here. Did you want to say something else? No, that's it. It'd be a pleasure to be back. I enjoyed it very much, Walt. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Take care. You too. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I don't know if enjoy is the right word. Maybe I hope you were stimulated to think about a problem that I think still has not been resolved. Later this week, there'll be more episodes of Light On, Light Through with my more customary reviews. Some very important things coming up on television. The season finale of the Foundation first season on Apple TV+. Plus. I'll be reviewing that. I'll be reviewing some other important shows. Next week, There'll be another conversation, this one a three-way conversation between me, Cora Boulet, and Joel McKinnon about the Foundation series, the first season, and we'll talk about what we all thought about it. And then in a week or so after that, I'll have another interview on a completely different topic. I'll be talking to the author of DNA Nation. So, lots of good episodes of Light On, Light Through coming up. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and enjoy. AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still codes about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.